Well, good morning and happy Memorial Day. Uh, this is my favorite time of year because I guess this officially starts summer. Is that what I'm hearing? Anyway, it's beautiful. It's green. It was cool this morning. We're going to have some heat this afternoon. Love it. Well, I want you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 6, verses 6 to 13 is what we're going to look at. And um, this is a pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus. Um, and I want to start by just telling you a story, a personal experience that is kind of related to this. When I was 16 years old, my family, who was a missionary family, moved from the Philippines back to the United States because it was what we call a furlough year. So my dad would do a lot of traveling, raising money, and uh, our family would be planted in Bloomfield, Iowa, which was a big contrast from Manila, Philippines. I mean, you had to drive half a mile to even see anybody where my grandparents lived, which was amazing because where I came from, it was 40,000 square, uh, 40,000 people per square kilometer. So you can imagine, it was a big difference. Anyway, I'm 16. We lived across the driveway from my grandparents' house in a mobile home. And this day, I was sitting in the living, in the, uh, the kitchen, uh, at the kitchen table doing some homework when the phone rang. Now, that was back in the day when phones were attached to the wall. If you, anybody remember that? And uh, in, in the kitchen, uh, this phone uh, attached to the wall had this, had this uh, long, 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 curly, curly uh, cord. Am I the oldest guy in the room? Can anybody here say, I remember those days? Yeah, thanks, some of you do. So I'm sitting there, I'm just doing my homework, ignoring my mom, the phone rings, she picks up the phone and she answers it, and this is what I hear, because I only hear her end of the conversation. She said, yeah, this is the house of missionary Boyd Lyons. I'm sorry, he's not here. Oh, I'm his wife. This is Donna, I'm his wife, and you, you'd like for my husband to speak at your church. Okay, I'm sure he would like to do that. Um, he's, he's, he's scheduled, so I, if he's in town, this very likely he'd be willing to do that. So when, uh, when did you need him? And then I hear her say, oh, I'm sorry. I happen to know that Sunday he's going to be out of state preaching somewhere else. So unfortunately, he won't be able to come and preach at your church. And then she says, oh, me? Oh, no. Oh, no, no. I, I don't preach, she said. Um, but my son can I'm freaking out at the table. I'm, I, I start doing all kinds of hand gestures. Mom, no, 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 no. Yeah, okay, so what date is that? Yeah, he, he can come and preach for you. And I'm, I just am like, what is going on? My mom has taken over my life. I'm not a preacher. I haven't surrendered to preach. I don't have a call to preach. My mom's gonna make me preach in front of a church. I don't know what I'm doing. She hangs up the phone. I says, Mom, why did you do that to me? She says, because I think you can do it. I don't want to do it. Well, you're going to do it. <laughs> See, my mom had this opinion that she was mom and I was the child, and she had a plan, and that usually was going to prevail, and it was this time. So I'm freaking out for the next few weeks trying to write a message. She said, when your dad comes back into town, he can give you some pointers and tell you what to do. So a few weeks later, I find myself at a brethren church in the county, and uh, I have my Bible. I am so nervous I step up to the pulpit and I deliver the first message of my life. Now I bring that up because in Mark chapter six, 
That's kind of what Jesus does to all of the disciples. There's a major shift in his strategy to proclaim the good news in the cities and villages where they are. And it starts like this in verse six, the last part of verse six. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching, and he called the 12 to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but wear sandals, but not to put on two tunics. Also he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And, and whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. That's a big statement there. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed many uh, with, with oil who were sick and healed them. So Jesus radically changes the paradigm because up to this point he had done all the preaching, all the praying for healing, all the casting out of demons. But then he turns to his disciples and he says, guys, you're up. I bet some of them felt like I did when I was 16. What? Jesus, we're your disciples. We follow you. You preach. You heal. You cast out demons. I mean, we're, we're here to assist you, but you, what? You're sending us out two by two, and we're going to be preaching and healing, and, and we're going to be praying for healing. We're, we're going to be casting out demons. Yeah. Now, I'm sure Jesus was even more forceful than my mom because I'm like the Lord, you're the disciples, here we go. So I've got several points to pull out of this that would be pertinent to us. First of all is this, is the plan for, G for, for Jesus was, okay, now I want you to go and tell. You know, Jesus was so successful, the crowds grew bigger and bigger and bigger, and the, they were thronging him, wanting to get close enough to hear him and even to touch him. And the bigger the crowds got, the more complicated his ministry got. Jesus also is very much aware of the time as it clicks by, and he realizes, uh, I, am, I am this many months into the three years of my ministry, and I will soon be at the end. Uh, I, as Jesus, he was the incarnate God, uh, but he could only be in one place at one time at one time because when you have a body you can't be everywhere at the same time. And so Jesus decided it is time now to multiply the number of preachers. These disciples have heard me long enough. They have been changed, they believe in me, they, they are convinced, they have great conviction. Uh, I have come to bring the good news that, that God has sent his son into the world. He will not allow the fallenness of this world to prevail. Hope has come. Jesus can heal, Jesus can save, and Jesus would go to a cross one day and pay for their sin. And guys, I want you to pair up six teams, we're gonna go, and you're all gonna preach. And you might say, well that's great, I'm so glad, because, but that doesn't affect me because I'm not an apostle. I'm not an apostle, are you an apostle? Except for, that in Acts chapter one, as Jesus is getting ready to ascend from the mountaintop, 
he says this to them. Not only the apostles, but the several hundred people that are gathered together on that day. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So what was Jesus' strategy? You know, Jesus could have invented Twitter at that point. You know what I'm saying? Jesus was God and could have, like, invisibly communicated the message to every person on the planet. But his plan was this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to save you. And now I want you to go out and tell other people what you've heard, what you've experienced. And the way the gospel is going to be advanced is people to people. One conversation at a time. And he says, I'm going to give you power. And you may feel like a fumbling idiot as you try to say a word for the glory of God and the declaration of truth and a call for hope in people's lives. But I want you to know the Holy Spirit will take whatever you have to give and he will empower it. I love that. You know, when I was a young missionary, I, uh, you know, I'm a preacher on Sunday. Did you know that's what I do and you're there and you get that? But I'm not always this guy. I mean, I'm this guy, but a lot of times I'm just Eddie. I'm just meeting people and I, I don't tell people what I do because they kind of freak out on me and they change their conversation. And so I'm, I'm just always Eddie. And, and, you know, I have the responsibility and I really have a love to be able to share a testimony with people, a witness with people, because I think the greatest, grandest theme in life is that God loves us and sent his son to die for us so that he paid for our sin and he could transform our lives and give us the hope for eternity in heaven. And I, I love that message. And it is my greatest joy as just an ordinary person for God to use me in some way to deliver that message, stir up a conversation, begin the conversation. And I love it. I'm not always good at it. I've said some pretty silly things in my life. When I was a young missionary, I was taking some courses at a Jesuit university in Manila. And in every, every class, especially the ones taught by the Jesuit priests, would begin with prayer. And most of the time, um, it would be the traditional Catholic prayers, Our Father who art in heaven, or Mary, Mother of God. Okay, we'd, so many of these prayers, not all of which I, I, I like could really get into, but I was there and I, I, I loved being there. I was trying to learn. Um, and then word got back to my professor that this foreign guy in the class was a missionary. So one day, as I'm standing in class, he says, all right, as we begin class today, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to call on uh, Mr. Lyons. 
to pray for us. I'm like, oh my. I don't know how to do the, our, our Father. That's not how I do it. I said, I'm just going to go for it. I hope nobody's upset. I'm just going to pray an ordinary prayer like I pray at home or at, you know, at church. And so I just prayed a prayer. And he said, thank you very much. And the class sat down. Nobody got mad. No rocks were thrown. It was okay. It was great. Um, a few weeks later, this same professor who was a Jesuit priest, a brilliant guy, I'm, I'm telling you what, very smart, um, he says, well, now tonight we're going to have um, Mr. Lyons pray a real prayer for us. And I thought, oh, my goodness, a real prayer. I guess I didn't bomb the first time so terribly. So I, I prayed again for him, uh, for the class. And then I had a, I had a small group because we were, we were grouped together for our group studies. And it was always my goal to try to share the gospel, look for opportunities to witness. And I tried and I tried and I tried. And I actually never felt very successful. One day, I got a call from one of, the, one of the ladies in our group, and she said, hey, I want to come by your church. Uh, I've got a great investment opportunity for you. Uh, you can invest your church's money. And I'm on the other end of the phone thinking, eh, this is a missionary church. Like, we don't have money to invest. We're trying to get by week to week. But I didn't want to tell her that because that sounded a little unhospitable. So she came by, and she presents her plan. And then at the end, I said, you know, I... Thank you so much, but I, I just have to admit to you, we don't have a lot of money in the bank to invest, so I don't, I don't really think that, that we can do anything. She says, okay, now I want to ask you a question about what you've been trying to tell us at class. You talked about being able to have a personal relationship with Jesus that's more than religion, and I, can you please explain that to me again? So I began to go through a few verses with her, and I explained it to her. And I says, you know, you just have to pray and ask Jesus to forgive you and to invite him into your life and be safe. She said, no, no, I want to know the very words you spoke when you prayed that prayer for yourself. Can you tell me the exact words? I said, well, as much as I can remember, here's how that went. And, and I says, is that something you want to do? She says, I do, but I need you to help me. And there in my office at church, she prayed the prayer. She accepted Christ because it was a brand new concept to her that Jesus was not just a religious icon. He was alive and well, and it was possible to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and walk in the presence of God and be transformed by him. You know, we all have a voice. We all have a story. You shall be witnesses is not about being an expert. It's about telling your story. It's about being vulnerable. It's even about not knowing everything. You know how comforting it is when you talk to somebody and you ask a question and you don't know and your answer to them is, you know, actually I really don't know the answer to that. Whew, they take a deep breath. Thank the Lord. They're not perfect. They don't know everything. Maybe there's hope for me too. One of my favorite stories is the story of Edward Kimball who taught a group of young men in Boston as a Sunday school teacher. These boys came to, to church most of the time, seemingly very uninterested and bored and often sleeping. One day he felt led to go and visit one of his students who worked in his uncle's shoe store. He went and found this student. He went inside. He awkwardly put his hand on the boy's shoulder and told him, Jesus loves you and, and, and you need to come to Christ. There was no response from the boy. So 
he released his grip, gripped and walked out thinking, I don't know what in the world I just did. I was pretty sure God wanted me to come and talk to this guy, but he actually didn't even respond at all. What he didn't know was that boy on that very same day, April 21, 1855, took a break, went out and sat on a bench and prayed to accept Jesus Christ as his savior. And the name of that young boy was D.L. Moody, who became one of America's greatest evangelists and has led a million people to Christ. I mean, have you ever heard of the, the Moody Bible Institute or the Moody Church in Chicago or Moody Radio or Publishing? And it all started because Edward Kim Kimball, in an awkward moment, followed the lead of God, put his hand on a boy in a, book, in a, in a shoe store and told him he needed to accept Christ and then he left thinking he had failed. We have a message to tell. What would it be like if everyone in this church was more conscious of the fact that we could say a word to people as we go about our day-to-day -day activities? I'm not, I don't mean being an obnoxious, religious, Bible thumper in your face. No, no, no. I think the Holy Spirit has a lot more finesse and nuance than that. But sometimes we just got to go visit the boy in the shoe store and have the awkward hand on the shoulder and blurt out the simple message that we had to give and trust the power of the Holy Spirit to do what he needs to do. Second thing, so Jesus told him, you guys are up, I need you to talk. Second thing, he says, and as you go, I want you to live dependent on me. This is my design. He commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, wear sandals, but not two tunics. I mean, that, look how specific he is. How many of you here are overpackers when you go somewhere? Do you really need five pair of shoes for the three days you're going to be gone? That's the question. Do you really need everything? Well, what if it snows? Well, what if, what if, what if we have a mudslide? What if we have, you know, I'm going to be so prepared. I'm going to pack this bag. It's going to be almost overweight, and then I'm going to get two of them and a backpack. Jesus says, nah, none of that stuff. I want you to leave feeling a little vulnerable and very dependent on me to guide your steps every single day. You'll eat what I provide. You'll sleep where someone opens the door and lets you stay. Don't be so distracted about the stuff around you that you forget the mission in front of you. That's what he told them to do. I want you to be dependent on me. You know, when we're told to pray, we're told to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I pray that. But I'd much rather have enough money in the bank to buy food for the year. How about you? Just being honest. Learning to live with the dependence on God 
is key to fulfilling our mission. Now, this is, that was certainly boot camp for the apostles, and later on, Jesus gives instructions and tells them, you know, take more stuff now, take a sword, because you're going to have to fight. So this, this, is, this was just at that very moment. But the principle remains that we, if we're going to do the will of God, are going to have to be dependent on God every day. Can you, do you know the beautiful thing about that is when you learn how to depend on God, you're always safe. You're always okay. This is not easy for human beings. I do remember one time talking to my dad because when I was six years old, my dad took our family on a ship 21 days across the world to the Philippines. And I said to my dad, after I became a father myself, I said, Dad, you know, that was a, was that like a hard moment? Like you just, you got on a ship? Did you have a lot of money? He says, no. Like had you raised a lot of support? He said, no, actually, I think, you know, if everybody would gave as they promised, we might have $700 a month. But that wasn't sure. He said, honestly, Eddie, I, I know it seems kind of silly, but I just got on that ship with your mom and your, your brother, your sister, and you, and we're just going to trust God. I am such a rich man because I have a heritage of faith that I didn't, I didn't earn, but I got to experience it. You know, here in this church, we give to missions every week. And um, when I was in Louisiana a week ago, I met one of our missionaries, one, a man we support in Pakistan, and I can't tell you his name, just always security issues are at play in the, that part of the world. And I met him, and he gave me this very tight, wonderful hug. How are you? He says, I'm, I'm good. He says, last week, you know, I, I was detained a couple days by the police. He told me one time, he says, you know what? I notice all the foreigners who come over here, you know, whether from the Philippines or the States, and they're so afraid to get arrested and be put in prison. I'm thinking, yeah. He says, but you know, once you get arrested and you get put in jail for a few days, he says, you kind of get used to it. You, you know, you realize you can probably survive it and... So he nonchalantly tells me, when I met him the other week, you know, a few days ago, uh, yeah, yeah, this last week, things are good. Oh, I did get detained by the police for a couple days and had to stay with them. Isn't that a nice way to put that? (laughs) He says, thank you for everything you've done for, for me and my ministry and the people of Pakistan. You know, the day happened years ago when his church was they, they, the church was destroyed because of an earthquake and he wrote to people here in the States and he wrote to us, Gary and I talked and we had some money and so we gave him $10,000 to help because, you know, what do you do? The church is like earthquake broken. You know what I'm saying? And he's always told me, man, you, some people say they care but you and High Street, you really care Thank you for that. And then recently we have been able to give him $40,000 to build a seminary. And so um, 
when I talked to him this last time, once again, that tight, sweet hug is for you as well. Just, I'm, I'm giving it to you now. Um, and he said to me, you know, I just want you to know that we've had, through our camp ministry, over 300,000 young people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. How do we do this? He takes steps of faith, and we take steps of faith. And I put on my mission offering again today. And we trust that God will supply. Last. Shake the dust off your feet. Also, he said to them, in whatever place you enter a house, stay there until you depart from that place. And what he's really saying is, if someone shows you hospitality, don't go and stay with them until a nicer house opens up. No, no, don't get involved in that. You stay there until you leave. And whoever will not receive you, so you go to a town and nobody will let you in, nor will they hear you. When you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that city. Now, part of what the gospel has to say is this, is that the good news is that God has come because you and I live in a world that is broken and torn apart by sin. The inhumanity of man toward man is an an awful thing. It happens all the time. Uh, people decide that other people shouldn't even exist. And so we have genocide. You know, we produce enough food in this world for everyone to have enough to eat. But the problem is distribution. That's human greed. That's putting up barriers that are unnecessary. Uh, the, the great atrocities that take place in, in, in the human existence. Um, we, we have the killing of the infants and the babies the mutilation of our children. We have a celebrated out of control lust that leads to rape and abuse. Um, all of this stuff is destroying us bit by bit by bit. We are defeated and we're ravaged by sin all the time. And then God in his goodness sent his son Jesus. And he came. And he preached. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to forgive the people who have offended. Don't take revenge. I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, wouldn't this world be an incredible place if we could do that? And Jesus then goes on to say, anyone who believes in me will never perish but have everlasting life. He, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet will he live. Jesus becomes our hope. He goes to a cross. He dies on the cross. He was the perfect one paying for the sins of the guilty, which are all of us. He takes our place. He takes our penalty. He satisfies the perfect justice of God so that he can then freely give forgiveness and eternal life. And he welcomes us into his kingdom where there is no sin, there's no selfishness. All of the goodness of God is perfectly displayed 
for all of eternity. And that's the story of the gospel. John Ortberg is a favorite writer of mine. He said, some people um, put it like this. Do you mean to tell me I will go to hell because I'm not a Christian? No. You will go to hell because you're a sinner. And I am too. Actually, the last thing that a sinner wants, because we're addicted to sin, is to be in a place where God is, and God is holy, 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 and the possibility of any sinful thought or action is not possible. You know, most people, if you think about it, they don't really want to go to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven because they want a lot of stuff that is outside of God's holiness. He goes on to say, a friend of mine put it like this, God will let everybody into heaven who can possibly stand it. But Jesus came. He came to pay for our sin. He came to redeem us and to rescue us. In this pivotal point in the ministry of Jesus, he says, now, disciples, and then by extension to all of us, I need you to make a little noise, say a little word, give a little testimony. Mark Batterson, in one of his books, writes um, that Leonard Bernstein, former conductor of the New York uh, Philharmonic, said that if he was translating uh, Genesis 1-3, and God said, let there be light, he might have said, God sang a song, because everything in the universe is constantly emitting a sound. It's like it's singing to God. According to physicists, every atom in the universe sings a unique song. Technically, every atom emits and absorbs energy at a unique frequency. According to the science of bioacoustics, billions of songs are being sung all the time. Whales sing songs that travel 10,000 miles underwater. Imagine that. Meadowlarks with a range of 300 notes sing all the time. I was on my front porch a couple days ago. I was just amazed at the beautiful singing that was going on among the birds. And then I noticed that there was sort of this, this, this kind of bass level um, rhythmic layer of uh, hum. And it was like the bugs were also singing. So the bugs formed the bass line and the birds sang the soprano. And it was actually so amazing. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Super sensitive sound machines, they have found out that even earthworms, earthworms emit a faint staccato sound. And God invites us to join the chorus of song that sings the glory of God. He invites us every day of our lives to look for opportunities to be a witness 
to declare the goodness of God, to describe the goodness of God in our lives. And we may not be smooth talkers or sound very eloquent, but he says, that's okay. I got you. The Holy Spirit of God is going to take what you have to say and use it to do much more than you could ever imagine. Just like Edward Kimball. So, I think we've got some singing to do. We've got some words to be proclaimed. I want to recommend a prayer. One of my prayers often, if not daily, is, God, will you give me gifts to give away? Will you give me gifts to give away? Would you, would you let me be a word of encouragement and compassion and goodness and forgiveness and hope in the lives of the people that are around me? Would you be willing to pray that? And then let's go do it. Would you stand, please?